Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode 24, where we'll be revisiting the film Spectre. Now, Joe, there's not many films that I've seen twice in the cinema. It's a very short list, um, but I can say that Spectre is one of those films. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, because last week, Skyfall, I saw twice, and that was very strange. But I had the same thing with Spectre, where I think me and you had a similar experience, even though we didn't see it at the same time, where it was like, you got all the hype, so it was like, right, i got to get down to London, i got to see a big old IMAX screen, i got to mm-hmm. do it proper, i got to go all in, i got to book in advance to get some good oh, yeah. seats. Yep. And I did order that, and then I went and watched it. Uh, they were setting some like Bond-themed drinks for fun. Like yep. that was all fun. Had some of those, and uh, then came out and was like, "Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yikes!" Oh. <laughs> I have vivid, vivid memories of walking out of uh, yeah the Waterloo IMAX uh, in London, and same thing. I went in there. I was so excited. As you say, they have all these like Bond. Um, merchandise and bond drinks and there's people in tuxes obviously and they were really getting into it and i sat down i'd never been in there before obviously huge screen big kind of curved wide screen oh it's insane it's so big that screen yeah it's crazy and i was i was just like right this is it it's it's all i'm ready i'm ready for a great cinematic experience it'd been not that long since the last bond film to be fair but still i was ready and yeah that that feeling walking out afterwards where i was sort of just on my own for starters <laughs> oh no <laughs> on my own i went on my own uh so i had no one to like you know vent to and i just had to sit on the train <laughs> on my own just oh. thinking about what i just watched and <laughs> it's so sad <laughs> yeah i didn't know that part of the story that makes a dark twist on all of this <laughs> yep <laughs> well see i did go with someone which kind of helped but i was also very impressed by just the screen which because it was the first time going there but uh, it's quite funny because the guy, like, you probably had this as well, where they introduce the film. They just have one of the employees just have a chat at the start. Yeah. And then there was like, welcome to the screening of Die Another Day. And it's like, haha, JK, guys, not really. And then Spectre Ooh. played. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, put Die Another Day on. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I had that same experience, but it kind of led me to like, I almost needed to see it again to kind of understand what I watched. So I basically, after a day of work, I think I had like a half day of work, something like that, around the same time. And I was just like, I'm just going to pop to the cinema again just to watch it, just my small local one, just so I can like process it and kind of get my thoughts together. Because there was a, yeah, again, a lot of stuff to kind of think about in this film. Yeah, you see, I can't remember if I did that. I have a feeling I didn't. I think I was just one and done yeah. with it, um, which is probably a mistake looking back because actually rewatching it now for this podcast, um, there are things I like about it and it's not as bad as I've been moaning about this whole podcast, all these episodes up to now. Um, so yeah, maybe all it just took was a bit of time and as you say, just allowing it to digest a bit and, and settle because... 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out and just say, oh, this is just as bad as I remember it being all those years back. It's terrible. It's awful. I hate the whole thing with Blofeld. Blah 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 blah. There's actually bits that I I quite liked. So you know we'll get into them. But that was nice. That was a nice surprise. I'm glad. I'm glad that that's what happened with you. Yeah. I mean, Miley's favorite film, Diamonds Are Forever, <laughs> didn't quite go that way. Although there was actually <laughs> a few things scenes I did like in that film. So maybe, maybe I still ranked it last though, but. But yeah, it's yeah. like my opinion of this film, it was very bad because, you know, let's take a look at what we were getting on paper. Skyfall came out, biggest success. We loved it. We went crazy for the Skyfall. And then they were like, we're bringing back Sam Mendes as a director and it's all the same kind of crew and we're going to go all in on this. It's like, great. They're getting a really talented director to another Bond film. And then they're like, we got Spectre. The Spectre name is back after years of legal battles. They finally have the rights to Spectre. So now we're going to do that. And then you see all the posters of Bond in classic suits and some very interesting stuff. As I always blow in this one. Is he not in this one? And it was like, I'm sure there were other films that were more hyped up. But obviously we weren't there for that. But the hype for this one was just insane and through the roof because of all those things. Like on paper, this was going to be amazing. Yeah, I remember one of the posters, because usually Bond posters, it's Bond looking very suave or what have you. And then one for Spectre was just that bullet, the bullet hole in the glass. Mm. And to everyone, they'd be like, that's that's just a bullet hole. Like, What's the big deal with that? But to Bond fans, and you kind of make the link between that and Spectre and what we've seen in the previous films, you think, oh, where are they going to go with this? And like, that's that's like a deep cut for, for references there. So... Yeah, as you say, it was all lined up and um, it just kind of played out a little bit differently to how I think a lot of people were hoping. Yes, it was like almost too perfectly lined up. The stars aligned so perfectly that they all just like exploded or something like something. When yeah. It was almost like a prophecy was fulfilled. So everything just volcanoes or something like it was too perfect. And it's not even like, oh, actually, this film's pretty good. It just doesn't hit those expectations there was just a lot of stuff that you came out of it. Like, it's quite funny though, because like with this film, I had a very similar experience. Like I don't go to the BFI IMAX that often because it's expensive and I don't live in London. But the other film I saw in that was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oh no, <laughs> so cursed. Like, I like The Force Awakens. That was pretty good. Let's see <laughs> what this sequel was all about then. And let's do that properly. Let's go down and make the trip. I had the same experience. I was like, you've done oh, it again. You've don't ever it? go back there. It's not oh, worth it. <laughs> I know. I did see No Time to Die there, though, which wasn't quite um, as... Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. It wasn't quite the punch to the gut that Spectre and The Last Jedi was. But I was like, what are the chances of this? <laughs> I get excited for something. This is why I don't like stuff anymore, Joe. This is where it comes from. Oh, here we go. I've been hurt too many times. <laughs> I get built back up just to get knocked back down. Right, I'm on the clock now. You've got an hour. I'm going to start charging. No, I. you should. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but no, like over the years, I have softened to this film. Um, but it's quite interesting because this is the first one that me and you got to know each other between Skyfall and Spectre. So we actually talked quite a lot about this film. So we kind oh. of got to enjoy that moment of, yeah, what was that about? Not great. I... Did you go back and listen to what we thought then and what no. we said? Because no. I haven't, I haven't done that, and I'm kind of thinking maybe I should have. But maybe it'll be more interesting now, having done this, to then go back and listen. 
Yeah, so that's what I want to do. So for so people who don't know, we used to do a podcast back in the day, which was like a gaming thing, but then the new Bond was coming out, so then it became a Bond thing, basically. Yeah. Um, so there's like recordings of us talking about all the hype to Spectre and what we thought of it, and then there's like an hour-long chat of us saying our initial thoughts and impressions. And my general thoughts, you know, we kind of were aligned on that, but I think over the years I got a bit more positive and soft to this, where you double down in the hatred and you're like, what yes. the hell was that? That's exactly it. So, what is all the fuss about then? I guess we should take a look. Okay, then. So, we start with, like, the MGM logos and the Columba, uh, like, all the, you know, different production companies' logos. The only reason I mention it is because it's, like, desaturated. Like, not massively changed in terms of colours, but there's something like... And it's not, like, black and white like we had at Casino Royale, but there was, like, a little bit of colour change, like a filter was put on it. Um, and while we're seeing those logos, we're hearing some of those Bond notes, some of the strings, and we get a little bit of the Bond theme, the sting kicks in, the da-da-dun, and circles! <laughs> They're yes. back! They're back where they belong. Did someone order circles? I know I did. <laughs> oh i mean they just had to didn't they like it was time it was time Far. last film so we yeah. actually get the proper circle thing far too much time now they've they've as we said last time like they 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 did it they tried it they were a bit different but it was and that's enough so i'm glad that they actually just went back to basics yes so the circles come across and then they come across again with daniel craig walking he does the turn and shoot now i gotta say i think it was a good spin and mm-hmm. it was a strong pose when he fired. The yes. walk felt a little bit off to me. Oh, okay. In what way? Too fast or...? Maybe. Or... It wasn't quite as like tall and confident as some of the other ones have been. It was almost like he was at an angle or something. That There was something not quite... I know Daniel Craig can do a confident Bond walk, but there was something about this that felt a little bit... I don't know if it's just because he's short or something, but it, it didn't oh. quite... It didn't quite land it with the walk. Okay. I didn't mind the the, the the walk and the turn. The thing that, honestly, it's such a tiny thing, but when they the, the actual gun barrel is like a very... Oh, your gun barrel. Very, I, yeah, you I, and your gun barrel. Okay. I yeah. love the gun barrel stuff. So I yeah. that's what I focused on straight away, was the gun barrel is completely flat. It's very like... They nailed this in the 90s, but having that old style gun barrel, but with just a little bit of computer stuff to or just lighting. I don't know how they did it, but, you know just to make it to bring it to life a bit and then they just kind of went back to how it was and just completely flat so it lost a little bit there in terms of you know what it could have been but overall i'm glad it was at the front i think it's okay i can't complain too much yeah i mean it's much better than the quantum of solace gun barrel that was so ugly yes yeah so i talk about the circles coming back and going back to tradition but we then straight away go from the circles to just a black screen Normally the circles would come out onto a scene itself and it would be an area and we would get the words of the area. But instead it come... I'm not even sure if they do come out, but the circles go away and it's just black. And then mm. in the middle of the screen it says, The Dead. And then I think afterwards it says, Are Alive. I actually didn't write that down. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, The Dead Are Alive come on screen. And we're kind of hearing some quite intense kind of bass um as like the dead comes up it's like boom then our alive is like boom and then we cut to a giant skeleton float like this kind of big puppet thing because this is a big parade like a massive street parade 
and it's Mexico City. And text comes on screen saying it's the Day of the Dead. So this is a big Day of the Dead celebration. And we get this slow pan over the crowd. So we're looking at this like skeleton float and then it kind of comes out and starts looking at the crowd. And there's someone who looks a little bit suspicious. I don't know if it's because I've seen this film before, but Bond in his disguise looks so obvious now. Yeah. You're just like, oh, he's there. Like he's kind of meant to be hidden, but also meant to be there. So you kind of see the camera go over the top of the crowd and we see someone kind of dressed in a top hat wearing a skull mask and they're wearing like a black suit that has like a white skull over the top. So the camera kind of goes down, goes past him and it meets up with somebody who's in a white suit instead, kind of like a little bit of a dirty white suit though. And like a red thing around his neck. And he's also got like a skull mask on as well, or a different sort of mask because everyone in this crowd has some sort of mask on them. Uh, So the camera follows him and then he walks past, and then it, he walks past the other guy, the guy in the top hat with the skull mask. So the man is also with a woman who has a mask, someone in a purple dress. So they kind of hold hands and go through the crowd. And we kind of got this like low-key sort of music going on, but it's this quite consistent, almost energetic drum beat. It's not quite like full-on parade music, but you've got this like constant beat going on in the background. Um, so... The, the man, the man in the top hat and the skull mask enters a building, goes up these stairs. There's lots of people who are, they look very rich, very fancy, but they're also still very like themed with the skeleton and the skulls with the day and the dead. So this man and woman go into a lift and they go up and the woman whispers something in his ear and kind of pulls out a key from her dress and holds it. And they then leave the lift and she unlocks a room because this is a hotel, it turns out. And they enter the hotel room Uh, I don't think she says anything just yet, but the camera kind of looks at the man and he removes his mask and it's Bond. And you get a little like Bond horn. (laughs) Just in case you're like, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, So, yeah. So they kiss. The woman then gets on the bed and the camera kind of like pans to only show the woman. And then she asks, where are you going? And the camera then pans back to show Bond and... He's in like a classic suit, like he's completely lost his costume and he just says, I won't be long. And he steps out of the hotel room, walks kind of along the edge of the balcony. This is like quite an old building. I couldn't really say what year because I don't know enough about Mexico, but you know, very old. looks a bit dusty. (laughs) It's that sort of uh, building. So he kind of calmly walks along the edge of the, the balcony. He kind of puts an earpiece in his ear and he kind of pulls out a gun or he's like holding a gun. So he kind of walks from the balcony and the edge of this building into the roof of the next buildings. And there's kind of a shot of him walking along with the parade going on below this beat that we've had the whole time. That's still kind of going. It's been very continuous throughout this scene. And Bond hides behind a wall and aims his gun at the window opposite. And I'm going to stop here because the twist is that that was all one shot. But was it? Well, yeah. it looked like it was. What do you want? It, yeah. <laughs> what do I want? I want authentic one shot. No, it's it's fine. I'm just like, I'm joking. There are some bits where you can tell that that's where they stitched them together. But it is a one shot take. And I, I, at first I was sort of like, why are they doing this? What, what's the point of this? Is, is, <laughs> what? is this? Why? Why? Is this just to be artsy or or is there, am I actually getting something from this? And I think I am. And I think it's, 
it's kind of as you were saying about just the the scale of this opening and the amount of people that's on show and all the costumes that are going on and that that constant drum beat and it's just sort of keeping it moving literally and and audio as well so um yeah no i i think it's i think it's good i really like that they went with this day of the dead theme and they just went all in with it i mean you can see some of the behind the scenes stuff and and vlogs of the production where they kind of go through the mammoth um production line of of getting all these extras and all these costumes and and stuff like that so yeah i can definitely appreciate that they thought okay day of the dead mexico this can be the the opening pre-title sequence and they were like yep yeah, right we're we're gonna do it and we're gonna do it 100 percent. i can appreciate that yeah it's impressive for sure i kind of wasn't looking forward to this shot because i kind of alluded this in the last episode with skyfall where it's like i'm just kind of sick of these shots they just go in yeah. waves and sometimes like people go all in and it's like just because it's technically impressive doesn't mean it really adds all that much but watching it again yeah i quite like it it kind of helps it a bit more distinct and there is this kind of it does create this very different sensation to what you're seeing and it is very sam mendes from a standpoint of well it's pretty classic bond but he's going to add his own stylish way of doing it like when you break it down it's just bond in disguise following someone you know hooks up with a woman but it's just using her and just uses that to go and set up to do an assassination like that's all very standard bond on paper but with sam mendes he comes along and makes his own stylish take on it and you know it's not the most impressive shot but yet it's it does create this very unique feeling and it's not one of my favorite kind of shots or anything, but I actually liked it more than I thought. Um, I don't think it's super purposeful. I do agree with you that it does quite highlight this, the scale of everything that's going on with the parade. And it does create this really unique feel in terms of how you're experiencing the parade and experiencing what's going on. So that's really cool. Um, so yeah, so I guess I was pleasantly surprised because I was expecting to groan, but I didn't groan. I was like, ah, so that's good. It. I, I did groan at something though. I'm going to mention it now. Even though it, go, it goes on for the rest of the scene as well. Is I really dislike the color. <laughs> it's Mexico, so they need to have the cinema Mexico color grading where everything is yellow. And this didn't really bother me the first time I watched it because I think I was just like maybe it's because I'd I'd watched Breaking Bad quite <laughs> around that time. Yeah, and you know like everything's everything's yellow in Mexico. That's how they look on film. And so yeah i gave it a pass back then this time around i watched it and i just thought why does it all look just so it... no i tell you what it really was it was watching that behind the scenes stuff and seeing how colorful it actually was in real life like oh. all these costumes all of the sets it was it was like bursting with color and like beautiful blue sunny sky and i thought oh how much nicer would it be if it actually looked like that and then instead we get this sort of like urine soaked lens of <laughs> everything and i was just yeah I, I get why they do it like it's just how they do mexico in films for some reason but i think they might have just went a little bit i don't know i, I wish they hadn't done it at all and just done it normally no i don't blame you i mean it is consistent with like the colors of the rest of the film yes but we did yeah. get a different cinematographer for this film the guy that's won oscars is gone and we have somebody else in his place mm. which means there is a little bit of a sense of trying to like replicate skyfall's style and just kind of not hitting that note but it, yeah. it still doesn't look bad but i do know what you mean it's very like pale like they really want this to feel a bit drab and yeah i, I kind of like it because it's a bit unique but yeah it's 
I probably would have preferred what you're describing. Give us a bit more colour to make this feel a little bit more alive. Yeah. Which is ironic, because it's the Day of the Dead. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! We got jokes. Um, so, so now we're... Yeah, it's all set up. Bond is on top of this roof overlooking a building next door, which isn't that far away. It's, it's quite close. It's a very small alley. So he takes a look and aims, is aiming his gun. So he sees like a man, that man in the white suit that we saw before, he enters the room. So there's a few people in there, but this man kind of enters the room and he looks at something on the table and they're having a conversation in uh, Spanish and he says all about blowing up a stadium at six. So there's like some sort of briefcase and he says, oh, we're going to blow up the stadium at six. And he talks about visiting the Pale King and then they go and have a drink. So there's like a few of them and they're about to have one and they say, to death, as Bond is aiming his gun. So Bond says, bottoms up. But just before he can fire, somebody sees Bond. So he like reacts to him, but Bond starts shooting. So he starts shooting and killing all the people inside. And that briefcase they were looking up, he just shoots it and it blows up the room. And because that was a bomb. So the building kind of starts crumbling itself collapsing it's kind of slow to do so initially it's just like a few blocks that fall down and then bond kind of looks up and just sees the whole building just fall forward so bond starts running to get away it hits the roof of his building which causes the roof of the building that bond was on to collapse so initially he kind of hangs on to the top because it kind of created this slide but he just lets go like allows himself to slide down and then he kind of like starts working his way downwards but like jumping from the side but he's like on a small ledge and that collapses and he just like perfectly lands on a sofa that looks like brand new uh, for some reason. A little bit of a com- comedy bit there, I guess. Mm, um, just a little one. Yeah, I, mm, mm. Mm. that didn't really land for me. I won't lie. But, uh, <laughs> land? Yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Sorry. We got jokes, people. We got jokes. It's the joke episode. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> finally. finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Bond uh, walks onto the street and everyone has kind of ran away because they have noticed the building collapsing. So the street that was full of people, they've all kind of started running off and lots of smoke and rubble and the man in the white suit, he shows up and Bond kind of stares him down from a distance and as soon as he starts running, Bond starts chasing. So they kind of run off down the street. They end up like meeting up with a crowd and going into a crowd and they're like both running through the crowd. The man in the white suit, he gets his phone out and says, meet me in the square. Uh, so they're still running and they kind of go around a corner and Bond loses him. Uh, but now they're kind of like entering a different part of the parade that has not been affected by the building collapse at all. So it's still kind of acting like everything's normal and fine. And it's a lot of like women in like, I don't know, triangle dresses. It kind of looks like they're floating. Really, it's, mm. And they're doing some slow dancing. It's all very nice. So Bond is on one side of this like performance that's going through the, the streets and he's on the other side. And once again, the man in the suit stops and Bond stops. There's a bit more of a stare and he starts running again. So at this point, we see the helicopter shows up and starts flying above and we get some camera shots showing that there is this massive square in the middle of this city with a huge crowd. Like it is, it is massive. Um, so the helicopter kind of starts coming down slowly and... The man in the suit is pushing through the crowd and 
we see the helicopter starts landing and it does land like the people clear this big circle for it and it comes down the man in the suit quickly jumps on the helicopter somebody has come to like help him get on the helicopter of which bond uses like this fake scepter or something to like knock him out and then bond jumps on the helicopter as it goes up so we got bond and this man fighting and bond's also like fighting the pilot as well so the helicopter kind of goes up but it doesn't really go all that far up so it's still quite low down so we kind of get shots of the helicopter like spinning a little bit because bond is fighting inside there including the pilot so they're out of control a little bit and we get like the helicopter and some screaming from the crowd so bond just like hangs out the helicopter for a little bit this man kind of puts bond in a head headlock and they fight a little bit more start punching each other they end up like both hanging out the helicopter for a bit they're like on the side of it while punching each other uh, so they then go back in and Bond sees a, a ring on the man's finger. So he just thinks, that's mine, I guess. <laughs> Yoink. He just steals jewelry now, I suppose. <laughs> um, so he steals it. The pilot tries to like knock Bond out, but is very unsuccessful. So yeah, so they both kind of get pushed out to the opposite doors, but they're like hanging onto some straps to kind of lock themselves in. So they're almost like acting like the doors on either side. But they're like spinning in the air. So they're kind of being stayed put. But Bond uses this as an opportunity to just go and kick the man in the suit out of the helicopter. So he launches forward, kicks him. He goes flying out. So the helicopter is still spinning in the air. So Bond just grabs the pilot and they start pulling all the way up. You got lots of beeping and sirens going off and the alarm. And the helicopter is pulling upwards, but it's now like pointing directly upwards and it starts falling and like flipping in the air so the bond keeps attacking the poor pilot uh, and is able to like kick him out the helicopter as it's falling down so bond jumps in the seat starts pulling up he manages to put up at just the last second to go over the crowd and we get some like bond horns kicking and bond kind of quite calmly then flies over the city and takes a little moment to enjoy it a little smile from bond and at this point, we then start hearing the main notes of the theme song. And Bond looks at the ring, sees an octopus in the ring. And then there's a zoom in, which takes us into the, the credit sequence. So I think this was always the part of the opening sequence that felt what well, that was off. Because there's just mm. something not quite right about this helicopter scene. That means it ultimately just falls a little bit flat. Yes. Yeah, nothing really happens in it, which I think is the issue. Well, nothing really happens in the sense of like there's no big like dunna moment of it, apart from I guess Bond pulling up at the last second and not chopping those people up, um, which is always nice that he didn't do that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think for me it's that it didn't have a sort of nice end moment to it, but also I just felt like the way that it was edited together was a. I know it's meant to be a very tense and crazy action scene, but I think it was just a few too many cuts for me to like really get invested in anything. It just felt like it was constantly going on an outside shot and then back to like the green screen shot and then this and that. And, and I didn't really get a sense of like where the helicopter was and any sort of, especially being over that gigantic square, which is, as you say, is like completely full to the brim with people. Um, I didn't get any sort of, danger from that or any grounding of it so yeah i think it all just felt a little bit floaty 
in the air. <laughs> I suppose that's what a helicopter <laughs> does. But um, Joe's got yeah. jokes. So. I've got jokes all day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, you're right. I think it, really strong start for this t- uh, pre-title sequence. But I don't know the, the end stunt, if you can call it that, sort of lets lets it down for me. My current theory with this, or what I thought watching this again, because it's always been one of those where it's like on paper, it's like it's not bad. And even with the editing, I do know what you mean, but I don't quite get that sensation with this. I think it's meant to be a bit chaotic and it's fine. I think where it falls down is the music. Now, I don't want to have a big old rant about the music um, already. So I will focus on this scene. But about half of this scene has no music. And it's almost like the sound design isn't strong enough to elevate the scene. And it just makes it feel a little bit weak. So you do have some like the sound of the helicopter and you've got some like punching, like ooh, ooh, that sort of thing and some screaming with the sound. But it's not like, I don't know, it's almost like not mixed in a way that's very exciting. And there's just no music for a good half of it. So by the time it kind of kicks in, it's kind of too late. And then the music itself is kind of fine. But I, it's funny that you mentioned about there's no like big moment where it's like, duh, 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 because it's like, well, if they put that music in there... <laughs> Maybe this would have felt like one of those moments. Yeah. But instead, we just don't get any... We get a little bit of a sting towards the end. But again, it's too late. Like, the Bond theme shouldn't play when he gets away and is just hanging out, having a nice city break, like, helicopter ride. It should play when he's, like, doing a fight, doing some cool stuff. But, yeah, I feel like better music in here or better, like, sound direction and music direction could have elevated this. But for some reason, and it's a common theme throughout this film, they're very hesitant to use the Bond theme. And I feel like the music they instead play doesn't really enhance the scene. And I get this right off the bat. Like, no music, and then music that just doesn't do enough. Like, I think it needed more to kind of elevate this. No music or music reused from Skyfall as well. Well, there's that as well, sure. Um, but I don't think this scene does that. Uh, again, I do want to rant about the music, but I'll, I'm trying to save it till later because we're only like five minutes in. Well, actually, we're 13 minutes in. It's quite a long one, me and, yeah. me and you found out just before yeah. this. It doesn't feel that long. No. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I guess it's good. <laughs> but, yeah, better than the alternative, yeah. Yeah, but no, I, I do think it's the music, and I think this could have been brought to life a little bit more if that was done better, but... It's not what we got, and we'll revisit that topic uh, later for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so as Tom said, Bond is holding up the ring, uh, which has the octopus on it, and it zooms in through it, and then we're into the title sequence of the film. And it's, again, it's kind of, it reminded me a lot of Skyfall. We're getting lots of imagery related to the film. Obviously, that's what the title sequence is there for. Um, but we're seeing stuff like, uh, well, lots of, lots of flames and... F- burning as these we see people falling through it all and the main one that we're going to see in all of this is octopus octopi tentacles ink anything related to squids and all that sort of stuff um and yeah like they really go all in with that sort of stuff uh based on having just seen the ring and the logo on it um it's not quite done in the same way as like what we saw in skyfall where it's almost moving through bond's mind this is just a bit more higgledy piggledy of of stuff on screen kind of cool looking visuals or or bond tropes you know you have women and naked women and tentacles like winding around their body which is questionable i think 
yeah, some people would be very into that. Um, <laughs> you have, uh, but then you do have some different things as well. Like you have at one point in sort of the a ghostly sort of smoky section of it, you see some past characters from uh, Craig's film. So you see, um, is it Le Chief you see? I'm trying to think of the villain it is. I think it might be Le Chief. I think uh, Silver's the main one, but I think Silver. it goes Silver, then Le Chief. Yeah. Um, you see Vesper, obviously. You see M. Um, they all come up and, and uh, kind of apparate up and then. You see away. Green? Yeah. Do, do you see Green there? No. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, please don't put him in a title sequence. <laughs> uh, it's just, it almost made me laugh that when I first watched the film. It was just like, because when I watched this, it was like, yeah, Quantum Source was bad. And it just always made me laugh that you've got like Silver and then Vesper and then Le Chivre and then M and then it cuts. And it's just like, <laughs> and? Green's like, what? Uh, but my art teacher, uh, hello? Hello? I like to think the actor is there like, any second now. Here I come. Oh, uh, but yeah, so you have some of that. You have uh, like a, a, a short bit of, with a, a funeral looking scene and. Um, very creepy man with a, with a skull for a face. Lots of stuff going on. Stuff that makes more sense, obviously, when you see the film. Uh, there's one very creepy shot of... Creepy in a different way, but, like, there's an eye and the, the pupil is made of, you guessed it, more tentacles, um, which was just a sort of, ew. I don't know, it made me feel a bit weird, that scene. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of all over the place in some ways. I don't hate it. It sort of has very similar visuals to Skyfall. It's all very rich and very vibrant and very... CG, but you know that's just the way it is. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I don't think I liked it as much as the Skyfall one because I think that had more of like that that story element to it. But I don't know. I I can't complain. It, it's fine. It has some interesting visuals, which I suppose is enough. Hmm. Well, it's definitely less busy than the Skyfall one. Like this picks yeah. like three things and just does that. So, like you say, it's fire, skulls, and the octopus. And yeah, as you say, like a lot of this ties into the film. So I can't really remember what I thought when I first saw this, but seeing it after the fact, a lot of it does connect, uh, which I really like. And to be honest, a film called Spectre having this really creepy CGI octopus covering stuff. Like, as you say, it's, it's a bit unsettling and you'll be like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. But I feel like that's the point and I kind of love it. Yeah. And even that shot where it's like the octopus... And then it looks up and it's, you know, the villain of the film, but it's a skull. It's like, on paper, if you describe that to me, I'll be like, that's dumb. But it kind of works in a weird way. Like, I, I can't quite describe why, but I don't know. This octopus was really doing it for me, I suppose. Uh, what, about, thought, yeah. what about the bit where the guy is like a silhouetted figure at the, at the end of a desk and then it zooms in and then you see loads of tentacles come out from behind him all right i'm not so sure about that one you've got me there that one's a bit I, off i just thought of bloody little mermaid when i saw uh, it was she called oh. oh ursula maybe ursula, yeah something like yeah. that yeah i know okay that one's a little bit off but i like the concept <laughs> yeah. of it all going there and also like the the imagery is quite cool of again seeing the past people you know this is what this film is all about it's try, gonna try and tie this all together so I kind of like, let's just see it up front. Uh, maybe they do that a little bit too much. But if you're supposed to be like building the history of this, it's like Skyfall was trying to establish history that you hadn't seen to build into the character. And now Spectre is like, well, we're going to build the character with stuff you have seen. 
So to me, it make, it's maybe a little on the nose, some of this stuff, but it makes sense. And it's going to be a bit odd uh, be saying this because I, I can't fully explain it. But the shot of... I, I love the shot where it's like M and then she kind of turns into smoke and then it mm. cuts to the funeral scene and the camera kind of like pans on the side and it's everyone kind of standing there and then it cuts the Bond walking forward. That bit just like awoken something in me that I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, wow. It gave me goosebumps, legit. Uh, there was something about it that just was like, I that was so cool. Uh, some of it is because of the music that plays out the you know, it swells up as that's happening. But there is something really about this imagery and the way it's kind of shot and put together that just really worked for me. Like, I wouldn't say this is one of my favorite. I think some of the imagery isn't quite that strong. The stuff with the fire, not really crazy about. But the stuff with the skull and the octopus and how black it is. And there's like a real heavy use of bond. Like, you see Bond a lot in this one and Craig a lot in this one. There's something about that and tying that all together. I don't know. It it's, it, it takes some sort of box in my head. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't the tentacle woman stuff, because that would be different. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, yeah, again, you'd be charging me by the hour for sure for that one. Um, but oh. I don't want to add to oh. my fetish list, like, die another day. Let's keep that to a minimum. Um, no, yeah. I, I've had too many of those already on this podcast. I'm, no comment from me. No, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't put me in the press release. Um, but, but, <laughs> no, there was like, I wouldn't say this is one of my favorites, but there is something about this that really worked. And I don't think it's as strong conceptually as some of the other one, but I don't know. I guess I think skulls are cool. And I like the way this octopus is portrayed as this creepy, horrible thing that is just covering everything. And all the direct nods to the other films. Like, I, I don't know. I was like, it's pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess the tentacles and the octopus being everywhere. It's very symbolic of the organization and all that sort of stuff. Um, I wish I got goosebumps. So I didn't get any goosebumps. Not even the tentacles. Oh. Uh, perhaps the reason for that. I, d- I don't want to dwell on, on the music too much for me because I, I don't want to moan. But the music is uh, Sam Smith. The writing's on the wall soundtrack theme to this film and uh i don't like it i i've never liked this song to be honest with you it's one of those ones that i was hoping would grow on me um like the tentacle like an octopus yeah it it just hasn't i think and i think it's quite basic why i don't like it um i don't really like sam smith's voice so that's (laughs) kind of it really that that's i mean it's such a i don't i was trying to think if that's come up before with a bond theme but I don't, I mean, maybe the closest is ironically Octopussy with uh, Rita Coolidge. Like, I didn't really like that song, but maybe not. No, even that wasn't because of her voice. It was just a lame song. Um, but no, I just don't, I just don't like their voice. And um, I also feel like the, the theme overall kind of feels a bit restrained to me. It's like it wants to burst out a bit more and it does swell. But I just, in my head, I'm always expecting it to kind of go a bit more and it never does um which doesn't help but yeah that is a very that's just that's just my opinion on sam smith really so obviously if you like their music you might really love this song well it's i'm not going to argue with you because of how subjective music is but i will say i had a very similar reaction to this song because you know again like all the bond themes they release the song ahead of time so yeah. you don't hear this for the first time in the cinema. You've already heard it probably a ton of times. Like even on the radio, like this was the first song to get number one in the UK 
Uh, for a Bond theme, not they didn't create the, the <laughs> charts just for, for Sam Smith. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, this won the Academy Award that year for Best Original Song. And this was the, despite like how big Bond is and despite all the songs that came before it, this got number one. Like, I think it was just one of those weird coincidences that whenever a successful Bond theme came out, just some mega hit was on the charts at the same time. So mm. it would be at like number two. Um, I think that's what happened with like Skyfall and A Few to a Kill. Like Michael Jackson or someone releases a song, so it blocks it. Uh, but this yeah. time there wasn't much competition. People were high for Spectre. Sam Smith was a pretty big name at the time. So yeah, everyone bought it and it got number one. And at the time, yeah, I had the same thing. I was like, what is going on? Because it swells a lot and it sounds very classic. But then the chorus is him doing very high-pitched singing. And I was just very confused and it just didn't really make sense. But similar to this film, I have softened to it. And actually going into this, I was kind of like, well, I think that song's okay. Like my initial thought before revisiting the film was like, it's okay. It's got a, you know, there's something to it. It's middle of the road. Like, it's a well-produced song. It's all right. But I actually ended up really liking it this time around. And I've been listening to that song, like, all day today. Like, it kind of clicked in a big way for me for some oh. reason. And now it's like, I would say it's really good. <laughs> I really like it. Okay. I really like the production on it. I kind of really like that high pitch thing a lot. I think it helps that the last time he sings it is right at the end. And they add in this like extra piano and it kind of comes together a little bit more. Um, but I don't disagree with what you're saying. It like swells and then very deliberately like cuts out almost. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like that. I don't know. I think the main thing against this song is what I kind of said last week, where it's like Skyfall created the template of these next three or Skyfall writings on the wall and no time to die. And the Bond series does not benefit from having a type of song that they just do again and again. And this is the weakest version of this type of like piano ballad that we are going to have. Like No Time to Die is better and Skyfall is better. And this is kind of just that awkward one with the high pitch singing in between. But the more I listen to it, the more I kind of like it. So I'm actually quite positive on this song. And yeah, again, it's I guess it's been however many years of it being out there and now i actually quite like it i think it's pretty good you know i've just remembered uh this is proof that it's actually i don't hate the song i just hate the singer oh so i don't hate the singer that's hate, <laughs> that's <a bit> hate <laughs> the singer. dislike um it's because i remember uh listening to i went to go to um a bond kind of orchestra touring orchestra band called cue the music um, <laughs> and uh, why why wasn't it called see the music what's going on <laughs> i don't know beats me Weird. but uh and it, it was a uh a lady doing the the singing and i really liked her cover of the song i thought that's like the way i want to listen to it so and i think maybe because it was slightly different where it had you know you listen to it live and it has more instruments and all that sort of stuff not just the piano. So, yeah, I definitely, I could like the song, just not the official one, I guess is my stance. Um, there you go. That's and I bought enough. the CD, so I can go listen to that one instead. I'm all good. In fact, I'll just edit my, the film, like I'll just dub over with that version of it. Ooh. So I'll never even hear Sam Smith again. <laughs> because you hate him. Because I hate them, yeah. I didn't uh, want to just mention <laughs> one last thing. Um, yeah. just, I don't want to go into it too much, but have you heard the Radiohead Spectre song? 
Joe, you know what I have, and I've completely forgotten what it sounds like. So I tr- so for people out there, basically, you know, they always go through this process of talking to different bands and acts, and you know, obviously they only pick one in the end, but it sometimes means that there's like these half songs. But with Radiohead, they asked Radiohead to write a song. They did. The team said no. So Radiohead just kind of like put it out there. I don't think they officially released it. They just uploaded it somewhere. So, you know, you can hear their song. And I was like, okay, that's quite cool. And I wanted to listen to it. I listened to a minute of it and I shut it off. I hated that song. Awful. (laughs) So I guess if you're a Radiohead fan and you're interested in that, that also exists. I think they 100% made the right choice. Even if you like that song, I don't think it matches Bond in the slightest. And I don't know how it would really work. There's no, like, class to it. There's no, like, bigness to it. It's just kind of this mopey... Ugh, ugh. I really didn't like it, but I'm not a big fan of Radiohead, so I'm a bit, I am biased, of course. Um, that does sound like Radiohead, yeah. It, it's got, like, again, it's that very, like, drawn-out singing style where it, it, it is also quite high-pitched. Not quite as much as that, but it's just very drawn-out notes, and it gets very hard to listen to. So I thought it was terrible. But obviously, if you're a fan of Radiohead, go and check it out. You might like it. It was just too interesting not to bring up. Yeah, and while you're there, the the whole world of Bond themes that didn't make the cut is really interesting. Like you could have a whole thing just talking about that because there are some really good ones and some really awful ones as well. But yeah. it's just kind of interesting what goes on behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, anyway, so after that, um, we we were into the film and it starts straight away with some newspapers being slammed down on a desk with some headlines on them about what happened. Uh, in Mexico, that we just saw in Mexico. And we see uh, we're in M's office. We're in London. We're with M and Bond in the office. And Judy's M's... back. Judy's back. I no, thought we're... you were dead. <laughs> I just was. A ghost. Just, yeah, ghost M. Uh, no, it's Ralph Fiennes. He's, he's ah. now M, obviously. Mallory into, into M now. So um, back in the very traditional looking uh, office as well, as we saw at the end of Skyfall. And he's very angry. Very angry at Bond about what happened there, uh, basically because he was unauthorized um, and uh, he had no authority to go and do this on his own, Um, and particularly because there's a a head of the Joint Security Service is about to come and visit, he says to Bond. And Bond is just just sitting there, sort of just taking it all in, not really reacting very much, and argues that um, a a block of people um, being affected is better than a whole stadium because that's what he heard through uh, the, the white-suited man. It was about the, the arena, the stadium being blown up. But yeah, Bond had no authority. And none. Starts, none. <laughs> none. He says it's such... You none. could like see it come out of his mouth, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, he opened his mouth. It's all teeth when he says none. I do look at Ralph Fine's teeth a lot. I don't know if it's just you, but I, I always, when he's on screen, I always look at his teeth. It's very strange. Yeah, he was the skull in the opening sequence. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to come and Avada Kedavra you now. You know, you said that. <laughs> what does that mean? He's Voldemort. <laughs> oh, ew. I've seen those films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, M starts to talk about the reason why he's so angry is, is and then how Bond was jeopardising this is because uh, there's a, apparently there's a, a merging coming up on the table with MI5 and... Uh, and a whiffs of them wanting to scrap the double O program overall. So it doesn't look good on them having one of their agents out causing all this havoc. Uh, but Bond is, as I say, Bond is having none of it. Um, M asks why he was there, what was he doing? And 
Bond says it was just a coincidence. He was just uh, taking a well-earned break. Um, to which M then just grounds him. <laughs> You're grounded. Go sit on the stairs. No, he takes him off of uh, all the duties, active duties, and Bond just says, very good, sir, and stands up and just uh, kind of gets himself ready to leave. And um, as he's about to, M says that whatever Bond is up to, he doesn't know, obviously, just just stop. Um, and as he does that, uh, a man walks in, and it is the the joint head of uh, head of joint security, as he just mentioned, uh, a guy named Max Denby, who comes in, and MM introduces them, and Bond shakes his hand, and uh, yeah, he says his name is Max, but Bond, uh, yeah, Bond says, "I'll I'll call you, I'll call you C." I guess C being. Where does C come from? I don't know. I I feel like he oh, says yeah. something like that makes you C. Chief, I guess. Chief, is, yeah. Is he a chief? Like, I don't maybe, know. <laughs> maybe not, but I feel like he does. There is some tie, but they don't really make it obvious. Yeah, it's kind of just a setup for a few jokes later on. Um, but yeah, I think I'll call you C, he says. And uh, the C character starts to talk about, oh, this this merger, this merging is a new chapter. It's going to bring British intelligence out of the dark ages and into the light. And uh, it's this guy's played by, uh, I know him, only from Sherlock Holmes, to be honest. He's Moriarty, isn't he? Andrew Scott, I think his name is. Yeah, Andrew Scott. Um, who I think is well known for playing bad guys. And it's like, I mean, I know you're not supposed to know at this point much about his character, but he just comes in immediately looking evil. <laughs> like, there's no there's no preface. Maybe not evil is the right word, but just kind of smarmy and unlikable. Um, yeah, it's just like setting straight off the bat. You're not meant to like this character. So here he is straight away kind of being a bit annoying. Well, um, they cast the guy who played Moriarty, one of the most famous British villains of all time. Yeah. And this was very much in the the big hype or the, you know, the peak of Sherlock, which was a huge TV show at the time. So it it felt like a very deliberate move where it's like, we'll just get that creepy guy in who's doing all right. So when mm-hmm. he comes in, he's like, hello. You're just like, oh, no, here's a problem. <laughs> it's hunchback as well for some reason. Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so i do so, want to talk about this scene quite yeah. briefly because you know we're getting the classic bond scene right the briefing scene we find that we had three films and we're here everybody m's reading the guardian it's it's great we're here um but there's this like they took that format and on paper a lot of it is the same m is like dressing down bond bond's being a bit cheeky and a bit full of himself some stranger comes in and there's a few jokes but it's just off. It just doesn't quite work as that scene. And I was thinking about this, and I think the reason is because of the perspective that the person watching has relative to Bond is different to what we would normally get. Uh, normally, you see this all from Bond's perspective. Like, you're going into the room with Bond, so you're almost experiencing the briefing at the same time as him. But instead, we just cut into the room... M's like, what's going on? And Bond's being like, I'll never tell, tee hee. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, I don't know what's going on either. <laughs> and I feel like this big change in perspective kind of disconnects you from this scene. And it just makes it like not play out in a satisfying way that we would normally get with the Bond uh, briefing scenes. And it also means that a lot of these jokes just fall a little bit flat when Bond is being cheeky. I don't think it's ever been Craig's strength cheeky bond doing these 
lines because again a lot of it is just a little bit more sarcastic and he just doesn't put it off as well as the other ones but the fact that we don't know what's going on with bond in a classic scene and then we get these like sarky lines it's like it just feels off i just wish they just kept it more traditional i wish we were seeing it from bond's perspective i wish we could enjoy these beats and stuff but no they just messed with it enough that i feel like it just is it for the first briefing scene we get after the with the fourth film, I just thought it was a bit of a letdown. You just want to have the scene where he's in Money Penny's office and he throws the hat. Well, the hat would have been nice. Would have been. That nice would have been gesture. great. Would have been great. No, yeah, you're you're totally right. Like if they do this sort of thing where they they sort of have the the, the audience behind, you know, one step behind. It's usually with a scene somewhere else. It's usually you know uh, somewhere in the world, some tropical looking place or whatever. Uh, usually with the M briefing scene, it's very much everyone's getting caught up. So you should all be on the same level. Uh, he gets a dossier. There's your mission. Off you go. But no, yeah, you're all right. It's it's sort of just you're kind of left thinking, all right, then uh, Bond's done something he shouldn't have. But I, I don't know, <laughs> which is fine. But I think in that setting, it, yeah, it does feel off. You're right. Yeah, they shouldn't have used this setting for this. But I would also kind of argue like it's a Bond film. We shouldn't get disconnected from Bond from a story perspective. That's just not how this works. And once we get over this storyline, what he was really doing in there, which is very quick, then we are just straight back knowing what Bond knows. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it makes it all feel a little bit pointless. Um, but I wish it was a little bit more traditional and I wish they didn't do that perspective shift. And the reason they're doing it is because of, you know, what is revealed to why, but it just takes so much of the sheen and the charm of this scene. And it's like, oh, I just wanted to enjoy it. And I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it at all. But it's like, ah, oh, it, it didn't feel right. I remember watching this scene in the cinema and being like, that doesn't that doesn't feel right. Sipping my Bloody Mary or whatever. <laughs> Bloody Mary goodnight, whatever it was. Like, <laughs> oh, no. Like, no, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's, oh, the... it's not quite there. And also, Andrew Scott's not great, but we'll save that for later. Yeah. Yeah, especially the way they ended Skyfall, where he's there and he's like, with pleasure, sir, with pleasure. It's all back there. And then that's how they they introduced the first briefing scene. Yeah. yeah, like that relationship just isn't there. The point in Bond, and I don't want to go into this too much, I've already talked about it a lot, but the point in M and Bond's relationship is that they do trust each other and respect each other. They just like Bond's a bit more out there and aggressive and stuff and M's a little bit more straight, but they do have this middle ground. You don't get that from this scene. It's just Bond being like, he, 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 I... <laughs> I, I was on holiday oh but it's like bond does trust m in the other films but in this one it it feels like why is the first scene a disconnect between the two in this way like why why is that it like that's not the relationship even with the reboot of the relationship we got in skyfall that wasn't the relationship so why are we doing it straight away oh, it's i'll leave it there but again okay. a lot of this stuff just feels off and it feels like they shouldn't have approached it this way for this first scene and i think the bond and end relationship isn't there but again it's not bad it's just like oh it's just it's not right yeah it's not right uh that scene ends with m telling bond he needs to go report into see quartermaster but actually doesn't do that straight away we see bond walking across uh, a building in london uh, kind of a open square and as he's walking across uh, Money Penny comes up, walks up alongside him, and she's got a box of things. And she she tells him it's a forensic have come back and released a, a box of personal effects that they've recovered from Skyfall. 
from the mess that happened there in the last film. So um, she goes to give Bond this box of stuff, but he says, no, uh, do it later. Come back to my place at 9 p.m. And yeah, almost kind of invites her for a nice little uh, nice little date in a way. Um, she just kind of stands there being like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, and we, we jump straight to it, actually. We see Bond from outside. It's nighttime and Bond is watching outside his window. He's got a nice house in London, as you would assume. And uh, the door goes and there's Money Penny. She comes in, got the box and she looks around. We see, we finally see sort of what Bond's house looks like or where he would live. And not much is in there. She looks around and, and asks him, have you just moved in? And kind of almost offended, no. And yeah, there's like barely any furniture in there. Things still look like they're being unpacked sort of thing. He's a very minimal man. And he offers her a drink. She says no, she's not staying. And uh, she gives him the box. She asks what's going on. What's all the stuff that happened in Mexico? Everyone's talking about Bond at MI6 and how he's uh, he's gone one step too far this time. He's finished. As if we haven't heard that before with uh, Craig's Bond. Like, come on. Yeah. Is he really finished? This, but, um... this is the one that did it, folks. <laughs> he stopped a bomb in Mexico. And everyone's like, oh, that 007. No, 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 no. I can't believe it. Not James. <laughs> yeah, I did sort of roll my eyes when she said that. Um, and anyway, then she says, uh, I think you're just getting started. Um, but yeah, she sort of starts to prod about what happened and, oh, you must have a secret. I think you've got a secret, but you you don't trust anyone. And as she's saying this to him, Bond has sat down on one of his chairs and as she says that he grabs uh, a remote and just turns on the tv next to him and on the tv pops up a video uh, a video of m but not that m the old oh. m judy m bernard uh, no. Oh. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, no it's judy dench m she made this little recording it's judy dench uh, m <laughs> judy dench m and it's a message from from her that she's given to bond and she says uh basically to find a man called Marco Schiara and kill him and uh, not to miss the funeral as well. So, yeah, she, uh, as they say, they didn't even let, she didn't even let death stop her doing her job because she got that not long after her funeral. Sorry, Bond got that from her um, not long after her funeral and uh, says that the funeral for Schiara, the man that we just saw pushed out the helicopter, uh, is in three days' time in Rome. And so with that, uh, Bond goes up and asks Moneypenny for help, asks her to look up information about the Pale King to be his mole in, in MI6, because obviously he's now out of action in that regard. She asks, why does he trust her? And he says instinct, which, I don't know, yeah, kind of just didn't really mean much, but yeah, <laughs> that's that. Off she goes, and this little scene in Bond's flat ends with him looking through the box of stuff that money penny delivered uh lots of paperwork and things like that and at one point he uh is sitting on the sofa and he opens this kind of paper wallet and inside is a letter and it's a letter of his guardianship which i'm sure if you paused it would have quite a lot of interesting information but it's just basically about what happened when his parents died and, and yeah, who became his guardian and he looks at that and it's all kind of charred around the edges and everything from the explosion at Skyfall. And uh, he also looks at a photo next to it as well, which is a photo of him as a child. 
uh, standing next to a man. And there's also a third person there, but they're all burned away. You can't see who it is. And I assumed Bonson. that was his mum watching it this time. I forgot who was in the picture. So I thought, that's me that <laughs> Bond's mum got burnt out. Was, 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 was oh. there a twist coming? But uh, no, it's not quite No, that. no. <laughs> but he does look at the photo, sort of takes in something from that, clearly means something to him. And uh, yeah, he just sort of sits back and and uh, that's where the scene finishes. Hmm. So I don't. Yeah, I don't. What, really what do you think say. about the? What do you think about the Judy Dench message? I suppose. Um, I'm in two minds about this because I I kind of like that they have this element of like oh she was so prepared and even though she died she had all these things ready to go, um, but then also I'm kind of like uh, I kind of wish that they had just left her alone now like she had a good <laughs> send off um, in the in the previous film I th- I don't know. Like, I guess it's kind of showing that she had this connection to Bond. She was willing to tell him things outside of, you know, the official remit and and has faith in Bond to do these things. But then it also just makes me think, well, why did this never come up before? But I don't know. I'm overthinking that element of it. I guess it's fine. I guess it's fine that they needed to have this plot start from somewhere. But would I wish it was someone else? Maybe. I don't know. I just think Judy, leave Judy alone now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. I think I liked it because it's it's this and only this. Like it's one scene where they look at a message, and it's just her saying like two lines, and that's it. Yeah. I think if it, if it was any more, like she left clues. <laughs> it's the, she left clues all around the earth. I have to tell a national treasure or something. <laughs> she goes on a hunt in the pyramids. There's another. There's another message from M. You've done well, 007. <laughs> Oh no, that I would love to watch actually as a, as a spin-off around the world in 80 I don't know M's or something I don't know. M's, yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, we can make that fit, but uh no, I I like it because it, it's that brief. The the thing is like a lot of this scene was used for the trailers a ton. So like the money penny line about not trusting anyone, huge trailer line there. And yeah. She's like you've got a secret that you won't tell anyone cuz you don't trust anyone. But the secret is then just Oh, M told me to go and look up this Marco guy. So it's not that's kind of it. I guess you could construe that the secret is something else, but it's just a it's a very trailer line. And even the M stuff I think they showed in all the trailers as well, like the message, I don't think they hit that at all. Oh really? I, I don't can't remember so. the trailers. I'm sure that that's was in the trailer. I need to go back and watch it, but um but no, I th- I think it's decent. Again, I don't really like this idea of Bond hiding this stuff and we having to get this like reveal of all he's on a secret mission that Judy Dench M uh, gave him. But yeah, I guess I don't like how that plays out, but I like the idea of this message kind of being led. And again, if we're going to talk about trust, of course Bond would trust Judy Dench's M. Like, of course he would, and that she would have this info. But the question it raises for me is like, so what's the time frame between Spectre and Skyfall? Because it feels like it's like a month, maybe? Maybe two. Oh, something tells me that there is a there's something in the film that you could help gauge this, but I've now completely forgot what it was. He, I mean, Bond in this he mentions about I've been tracking this guy ever since, so it's not like a week. But I get the impression yeah. that you know if 
if he's been focused solely on this, I, I don't know. I get the impression it's maybe like two months, something like that. Like, it doesn't feel like it's been a long time, especially if Money Penny's only just giving him items from Skyfall. That makes it feel a little bit closer. And I doubt that that would be gone for like a year. And also, what's going on with the MI6 building? Uh, yeah, that's like, it. Like, that, that wouldn't take a year or more to do what they're doing. So I'm assuming it's about two months, something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so yeah, I, I still think it's pretty good. I just wish that the story elements maybe aren't as strong. Um, but I kind of, I still like the idea. I don't know how I feel about another situation where Bond is outside of you know, MI6. But then I guess the argument is that MI6 is also in jeopardy as well. So they're kind of all eventually put in the same situation. Uh, I think it's that idea. It's it's the aftermath of the Skyfall ending where, you know, as we as we just said with the, the briefing scene, I was expecting it to be a little bit more back to normal. But we're already going again with the whole, yeah, you're on your own bond or or not maybe not you're on your own, but yeah, you know, this isn't just a regular type of film now where you go out, save the day, come back sort of thing. I think it would have been nice to have that. And it's also, we don't really get that in the next one either. Um, so it's like Craig never really had that in a way, which is a bit sad. Um, but I, I, yeah, yeah, it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, like it's just how they decided to play out the Craig era where there's not a lot of classic Bond. Instead, it's kind of like reinventions that kind of are like tied together of these like core moments. And it does kind of mean, you know, Skyfall had those potential eyebrow raising stuff about the age stuff, which again, I think is fine in the end. But this one also has that saying like, they're trying to shut down the double O program. We got that instantly in the first scene of M talking about that. I was kind of like, well, isn't that what happened last time? Didn't... Wasn't there a shootout in a court that kind of proved <laughs> that maybe they're kind of worthwhile? Why are we... So, yeah, it's unfortunate. But like you say, like, you know, if there, this really would have worked a lot better if there was a film between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall, which was a more classic Bond adventure, and if there was a more classic Bond adventure between Skyfall and Spectre, and then these films maybe would have that weight behind them and it would kind of make sense. But yeah. it's just not how they did Craig's era. They focus on the big stuff. It was probably smart considering like they got five films and there was no way they were going to get to like six or seven. But it's just how it played out. Yeah. So after that, we cut to a shot on the Thames looking up the, at the partially destroyed MI6 building from the last film. I remember when I first watched this film, the stuff with that building never really clicked with me fully. It was only later where I kind of put it all together how important that building is. And I don't know, for some reason it never clicked. But yeah, that's the building from the last film with a big old hole in it. Um, so yeah. Tanner's, so Tanner and Bond are on like a speedboat going along the Thames and they're looking up at the boat and Tanner says, it's going to be destroyed in a week. It's cheaper to knock it down than it is to simply rebuild and repair it. And Tanner says they're spending all the money they're saving by knocking it down on the big old new building. He It sees new digs, which I'm like, yay, new digs. Uh, but they have that phrase in both films? <laughs> yeah, but Bond says it, unfortunately, not Tanner. Yeah. But somebody likes the phrase new digs. Really? Yeah. I, I, I've never heard that outside of Bond, I don't think. Like, hey, man, I just moved into my new digs. Do you want to come hang out? Have hey, some pizza? Like, nice new digs, man. Yeah. I guess it does. I think it's real, but like, yeah. it, if it's real, it's from like Beavers and Butthead or something. Like, it's from the 90s, not, not like I think it's the, yeah. 
it's the writers maybe showing their age there. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But but yeah, so I can't remember. There's like a whole name for this thing, which I never wrote down because it was super complicated, but it's some sort of like intelligence agency, blah, blah, blah. So this is like a giant building for that. It's like not quite a skyscraper, but it's like a very modern looking, you know, all made of glass. A lot of the stuff we saw in Shanghai last time, it's, it's one of those. Um, which I'm assuming they just CGI'd this building on. I'm fairly certain that building isn't mm-hmm. real. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that Bond asked Tanner, like, what do you know about C? And Tanner says, C wrote a paper on how drones could do all the work of double O agents, so they're not needed anymore. And he also says that C went to school with the Home Secretary. Um, and then Tanner kind of explains that in three days, there's going to be a conference in Tokyo to kind of vote on, like, this security bill again they throw a lot of words out here and you don't really need to pay attention to them but like the words like intelligence and security and data and stuff get very lost in all this like gobbledy like mumbo jumbo like explanation stuff uh, so it's like cyber stuff it, it's all that sort of thing but there's some sort of vote i don't know if they say the nine or what's it called the nine something oh what nine eyes nine eyes i don't know if they say nine eyes here but it's it's like these countries as part of the nine eyes are having a conference in three days in Tokyo to vote whether they like combine their security forces and share data um, across these countries. Um, So they then kind of like go underground a little bit. So they're still on the river, but there's like this kind of bit concrete bit on the side that allows them to go underneath. Uh, And they get off the boat or they're about to get off the boat. And Tanner talks about how there was a train bombing in Hamburg and there was some sort of industrial explosion in Tunisia and all these events are playing into C's hands and is helping C get what he wants and M is feeling the pressure of all this. So they get off the boat and they start going through like some underground tunnels. Uh, Tanner explains to Bond that Q didn't feel at home at Whitehall in the new place that MI6 is set up. So instead he set up shop here, away from prying eyes. And he says, Q has something special planned for you. Um, so Bond and Tanner enter. And it's like a Q branch area, really. It's like a big concrete place. And there's stuff on the table. There's a lot of gizmos and gadgets, I suppose. You don't really go into details with those, but there's like stuff being worked on. Um, so Bond sees a gun and just goes up to the gun and starts picking it up and playing with it. And Q says, ah, 007, please excuse the mess. Um, and he just takes the gun off Bond, puts it down. He's like, shall we get started? So we cut to Bond being strapped down to a chair and like Q is like strapping something over one of his arms and it like scans his arm and we see an x-ray appear on the screen and Q then says you may feel a small prick and then he gets kind of injected with something and Bond kind of screams and he's like ah um, and Q says we've put smart blood made out of nanomachines into your system so we can track your location wherever you are and he also says that we can monitor your vitals as well anywhere you are as well and these are orders from M to do that. So then Bond just smiles and is like, I completely understand. Of which Q looks a bit taken back. He was expecting a fight, but that doesn't happen. Which, again, ugh, don't like that. <laughs> but, um, but we cut to Bond and Q like standing in front of these big large doors inside the facility. And they open up and they look at a car. And it's like a... I, I don't know if you see it properly. I think you do. But it's like quite a very fancy uh, Aston Martin. It's, it's a brand new Aston Martin. And Q starts giving all the usual stats about it, saying all the, yeah, how fast it is and all these gadgets. And Q says, uh, we were going to give the car to you, but you've been grounded. So it's been reassigned to 009. 
And Bond looks a bit sad or a bit taken aback by it. And he's like, well, what do you have for me? And Q says, here's a watch. And Bond says, does it do anything? So Q says, it tells the time to help with your punctual issues. Um, So Bond puts it on. But then Q also does drop the hint saying, the alarm is rather loud, if you know what I mean. So they walk. They then walk off, and they walk past the the sash, like the the frame of the DB five, and yeah, the one that was destroyed at Skyfall. So Q says, "I believe I said to bring it back in one piece, not just one piece." And he laughs to himself, <laughs> but no one else does. I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was all right. <laughs> Compared to some of Bond's lines, it's fine. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so Bond then goes up to Q and says, can you do me a favour? I need you to make me disappear. And Q says, well, I answer to M, and I have a mortgage and two cats to look after. So Bond says, well, if you want to take care of your two cats, you better trust me. So Q then kind of steps back and says a bit louder, saying, now the, the smart blood is in the de- developmental stage. So there may be a drop in coverage in the first 24 hours. Bond gives him a little bit of a stare. So Q's like, oh, 48 hours, I mean. So Bond says, I'll send you a postcard, which Q says, please don't. And that's your Q scene. So again, a lot more, I guess, traditional. Like it's not that crazy compared to the other ones. It is just Q taking Bond through this. He gets his gadgets. We see some gadgets in the background. It's got that concrete feel of the original kind of cue branch that we had which is quite nice uh, we don't have a load of people in the background doing random stuff which is no for the best no no weird explosions or inflatable things going on but no i guess but, that would look a bit strange yeah it, yeah um but i still thought it was decent it was a uh, interesting that again Q in this film doesn't just try and do what desmond did he doesn't do a ton of the lines although i'm sure there's some you could equate to it and he doesn't treat Bond in the same way, and you get some few twists on there. Again, I do think some of these lines don't really work quite so well in some terms of like the humour, but I think that's like a common problem throughout this film, where there's quite a lot of humour in it, but to me, I thought a lot of it kind of fell quite flat, and it's no different for this scene, but still, it's I, I think it's, for them trying to do the Q scene again and do it quite classic, I think it works well enough. Yeah, I, I really like this kind of, interpretation of the the q bunker i know we had a bit of this in the previous film but it, it was kind of like that temporary thing whereas yeah i don't know this one felt a lot more uh as if this would be actually where he would be um and uh, yeah i think with this one i'm trying to remember what my thoughts were on q in in skyfall I don't, they weren't necessarily bad i think it's just that introduction to him and we didn't really get too much from him i think this time I, I really warmed to Q in this scene, I, partly because of the, the little laughing at his own joke stuff. I think that that is setting him up, him up as this sort of nerdy little character, but you know, quite lovable in a way. Um, and yeah, I even I even didn't mind the whole like smart blood stuff, even though it sounds really film mumbo jumbo stuff. It's like oh, that's no different than what they did in. Uh, Casino Royale, it's just a different way that they're doing it. And believe me, when it comes to nanotechnology, we're going to go a lot worse soon. So it's fine. I'll happily take this being where they draw the line. Um, the thing that I, I thought was quite interesting, though, is like they just completely they completely did a 180 on that whole uh, 
uh, exploding pens. We don't really go in for that anymore. Like, actually, nah, <laughs> we, we do. Not we do. pens. I got this watch. <laughs> I, I didn't say watches, did I? <laughs> you got us there. So yeah, we are still getting those slight uh, retro gadgets where something would explode. Not not the craziest thing by any means, but um, yeah, I just thought it's funny that they made a point of that in the previous film, and then immediately like, oh, actually, we it'd be cool if they had if Bond did have a gadget. So oh, Q can just give him a, a watch. It's fine. It'll, no one will care, but I care. I remember the line, Sam Mendes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was a bad line in Skyfall, so it I'm was. glad they said, ah, oh, we'll just push that aside, and ah, here we go, here's a watch. That's what you get for having a stupid line in Skyfall. Yes. But again, the Smart Blood stuff, I think, is like, this film in particular, arguably this started maybe in Skyfall, is where, like, Bond is showing... it. Like, the Bond franchise feels quite out of touch in terms of tech, you know, as a whole. Um, I mostly feel that in this film with the sea stuff and how that stuff plays out. But you do, I feel that a little bit here with the nano blood. It, it feels like it's, yes, obviously Bond has new gadgets and stuff and they're meant to be a little bit silly. But again, I feel like they're almost trying to have a proper point to all of this stuff and supposed to be mimicking tech in the real world, but going a little bit beyond. But it's, it, I don't know, it feels out of touch. Like it feels like it doesn't quite... Like, they need somebody on staff who's, like, a big old tech nerd who can come up with these really fun, cool ideas. But it's almost like they don't have that, so they're just like, oh, nanomachines, smart blood, whatever, inject him. I don't know. Um, But, like, it's fine, and I think it works as quite a nice evolution of, as you say, the Casino Royale stuff, where it was like, well, that was a terrible idea, so just give him the old smart blood. (laughs) That'll that'll work instead. But, yeah, again, some of this stuff with the gadgets, it feels like in the Craig era is where they they just kind of fell out of touch and they were no longer kind of cool anymore. It was almost like they were lagging behind. Um, But most of that is with the C stuff, to be fair, not so much this gadget stuff. They should have called it iBlood. iBlood. Get get a new sponsor in. That could have worked. That could have worked. Do they still have Sony? Is Sony still in this? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I didn't even look at the laptops, to be honest. I'm sure they were all still Vios, right? Oh, that's a good point, actually. I, I wasn't thinking of the laptops, but I know Sony was still very heavily involved with this film because of, you know, right. all the email leaks regarding it. Oh, right, of course. That yeah, was yeah, this yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Very expensive, yeah. so it was. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I, I guess I, my kind of overall opinion is I like that scene and I liked Q. I like the whole two cats and the mortgage stuff. It is very different path they're going down with this cue, and they're just sort of continuing that by making him just like a normal guy to an extent. He just wants to get on with his job um, and feed his cats. So fair play to him. Yeah. So this follows with some aerial shots of London, and we see Money Penny enter Money Pen Money Penny uh, enter her office, and she sees like a a lily is on her desk. I think it's a lily. I'm not a flower person. But it looks like a lily and a box and she it's like a small gift box and she opens it up and it says thank you jay on it and there's like an old phone in there not like super old but like an old mobile phone i think it's still got a color screen so it's not too old but but clearly some sort of older phone so M then walk enters and walks through the office and there's some sort of joke here where it's like oh who's that from and i think money penny says like oh some old admirer or something like that some admirer and M's like, oh, it's not your birthday, is it? And she's like, no, sir. And then he walks out and Moneypenny says, that was last week. Oh. And everyone claps and laughs. And 
bow, 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 bow. <laughs> I actually, I, I, that was the one that did land for me. I guess it's just because it's, I don't know, you get this idea of MI6 being, oh, spies and everything. And then it's like, oh, crap, it's someone's birthday. Where's the, where's the card? Have we got the collection? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. And then M forgetting. I could see that. M what sort of cake? Birthday. I don't know. I never know what to get for the cake. <laughs> right. The cake's been in the kitchen now for three days. No one's cleaned it up and it's started to go bad. Can someone please take ownership of the cake? That's what I'm not doing it. <laughs> a really passive-aggressive email will go around. Yes, as it should. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I, I think it felt a little bit off for me because it's like we don't have a good sense of Money Penny and Q's, or not Q, Money Penny and M's relationship yet, which I guess you don't see a massive amount of that in the original film. So I guess it's fine. But it's almost like they're kind of playing off this relationship, this implied relationship about like boss and employee. But it's like, well, we've never seen that. So it felt a little bit off. But as you say, the line's fine. It was just like... Mm. Oh, I guess M doesn't get presents for Money Penny for her birthday. That's rude. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a thing. Did, yeah. Is that Tanner's job? Did Tanner chip in? What's? I don't know. <laughs> he is chief that's, of staff, so yeah, that's definitely Tanner's job. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tanner dropped the ball on that one. Um, so we cut back to Q, and he's still downstairs, but somebody else is there with him, and he's saying, "Oh, Double O Nine is here to pick up the car." So Q opens up the big doors to reveal the car, but the car is gone. And there's a bucket with some champagne in it. I'm not sure what type. It could be anything. I'm not too sure. Um, And Q just has a little swear to himself. Now, my question is, I was trying to think of this as I was watching the film because I got slightly distracted in the previous scene back with Q when you mentioned about 009. 009 the clown... Yes. Is that 009? Yep. Every time. Because <laughs> that's all I can think about now. Is it just he comes in as this giant clown outfit still on. <laughs> it's like, oh, 009, we've got you a new car. And it's a clown car. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he gets in the Aston and like 20 other clowns get in the back. Like they all just cram in. It's like a squeegee horn sound effect. Yeah. But no, oh, it, I think 009 is probably the most referenced other 00 agent. Whenever they need to reference one, they usually go 009. Because was Alec 009? No, he was six. He was six. Oh, okay. Right. So obviously he's the most iconic one because he was the villain of that film. But I feel like, yeah, we had 009 as the clown, but I know, I'm sure he gets referenced elsewhere as well. Um, so yeah. it kind of made me laugh when they say 009. That almost feels deliberate to pick that number because he is usually the one also kind of doing stuff mm-hmm. and also it gave me like just referring to double double agents it made me think of fundable which is like one of the kind of key iconic specter films so i thought that was kind of nice whether it was deliberate or not the idea of bringing back the idea of referencing other agents it made me at least maybe not specifically fundable but you know this is about specter and referencing other agents i feel like was very a key part of that era. So I'm glad they did it. It was nice. You know, I completely forgot to mention this at the beginning. I'm going to very quickly go back. Uh, the Day of the Dead stuff, the parade. Yeah, I forgot to say, like, that was big Thunderball vibes there with the, the oh, creepy... Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. Well, no, that one wasn't creepy. I'm thinking of Moonraker. But the um, yeah, they, there's a whole scene where they're chasing through a parade just like that. So, yeah, I think you're right there. There's definitely some similarities to be made. Um, but, yeah. So after that, we after we know that Bond's nabbed the car, we see him in the car. Uh, we're in Rome. He's heading to the funeral that we just heard about through uh, Judy Lynch. And um, 
Yeah, it's the Aston Martin DB10, so it's twice as good as the DB5. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> twice as fast. <laughs> twice as fast. And you get a quick look at Bond looking at some of the um, the gadgets that are on offer. And it's quite, um, like, it's not very flashy. I think you learn later on that this is a prototype, so it's not like there's all these screens and stuff. It's literally just these flick switches and, uh, you know, some say air and uh, exhaust and stuff like that. But, you know, there's just a little tease of them. We don't actually see what they do quite yet because uh, Bond heads to the funeral. And, um, yeah, at first he is kind of looking from afar at all these people coming out of a church, I guess, and uh, particularly focusing on um, a woman who's walking behind the coffin <laughs> uh, dressed in black. So it's going to be the, the widow. I feel like you did that on purpose. I it, It's hard, like... Sorry to interrupt, but you cursed me with this a woman thing. Like, you did this. <laughs> and I feel I like mean... I... Don't tell me you weren't thinking that when you said no, that. No, no, not at all. I bet you were. I was. Such maybe, a liar. Maybe a part of my brain, which which we'll get drilled into later, that's where it is stored. Ah, like, yes. He doesn't recognise yeah. it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like it, though. I know, we'll clip that. We'll uh, play that back. <laughs> Slow motion. Yeah. Um yeah, and he's just kind of watching it all unfold. He's looking very dapper, by the way. Like I did put like it's like very stylish looking Bond in Rome. He looks got this big coat on, he's got the sunglasses on, definitely looking the part. Um and yeah, the the scene moves on to another part of the funeral where they're they're outside now and they're kind of in the section with all these columns and I guess there's some sort of rite going on because there's a priest over there and uh, the woman's still there and there's a big crowd of people. Bond's at the back kind of watching all this um and there's a man it sort of kind of focuses a little bit on this man that's obviously got his back to bond he's facing what's going on but uh he kind of yeah like the camera focuses on him and, and stays in him a bit and at one point he sort of slowly turns his head slightly and it's almost as if he knows that he's being watched and yeah it's all very mysterious what's going on here um that's i found that so cool rewatching it because i completely mm, forgot that happened and i'm just like yes. oh he's he's right there that's so cool yeah uh, it was a really nice little small moment yeah exactly i really liked it too because it's just very understated it's just it's all you need to show just a little just a little, little tweak of it but yeah eventually the the funeral ends and everyone starts to leave apart from the the widow kind of got a black veil over her head over her face um, and so bond walks up to her and starts to say you know sorry for your loss and uh, she asks him um Do you, did you know my husband and he says yes um briefly or something like that and she asks him what he does uh to which he replies that he's he works in life insurance um then kind of how this all plays out it kind of makes a makes a point about too late for your husband sort of is that what he says yeah i think he i think she kind of says that it was like oh i work in life insurance and she says like oh it's too late for my husband oh but that's Bond right says, it's not too late for you i hear widows have a very short life expectancy yes that's it and hearing that she obviously gets a little bit uh taken aback by that can't you see i'm grieving she asks and i really like the way that craig delivers he just kind of looks at her and just goes no kind of very up very just like point blank just no can't see you're grieving um and as he says that some men kind of appear behind the both of them in the distance dressed in black 
uh, obviously not very good men. And um, <laughs> she takes that as her cue to leave. And so she walks off and uh, so does one of them, I think. Or, yeah, Bond just turns around, gives a little wave to one of the men that's standing there watching him. So, yeah, this, this by the way, I forgot to mention, this uh, this woman is uh, played oh. by um, Monica Bellucci. And uh, I remember that one of the things before this film came out is how, like, oh, my goodness, Monica Bellucci is going to be one of the oldest Bond girls ever. And that's just, yeah, I, there was a lot of focus put on on her being in this film because, obviously, as it tends to be, the Bond girls are usually quite young. Um, and, I mean, not by, she's not old by any means. I think she was probably coming up to 50 when this was filmed, I maybe. think, yeah, because I think she is officially the oldest and I think it was 50, bang on. yeah which is kind of saying something, but there you go. That's just women in Hollywood, I think, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a point of like, oh my goodness, that's Monica Bellucci, which I didn't really know much about her. And she's apparently a big famous actress, but I didn't actually know much, to be honest with you. No, I didn't recognise her at all. Um, but it's nice that they're doing that. That makes sense. The yeah. scene is, I didn't think a massive amount of it watching it, but now talking about it and thinking about it again, oh, this was just cool. Like just how quiet this all is and the fact that they're kind of doing this service and, you know, you mentioned about the pillars, but the bloody pillars, people, like this is all about the pillars. It's all grey stone with these massive pillars and this service is taking kind of place between them with Bond just watching from the side. But the, did you take it that because, you know, obviously there's this mysterious person and there's like, we find out there's kind of this plan playing out. When I was thinking about afterwards, or when I was watching it, because I know how it goes, that the guy almost, like, commanded everyone to leave the widow alone. Oh. Like, intentionally, so Bond could go and talk to her. Because it happens in this perfect, synchronized way, and we know where this leads, so I feel like that's almost... And we see a lot of other things of, like, people doing things in sync. So I feel like this is kind of setting that up. I didn't put those two and two together, but that's I like that interpretation. The power, yeah. That's that's what I got from it. Like obviously, this person is powerful, as we find out, so he can do that. But I like the idea. It's like almost too perfect the way they all just kind of leave. But I'm just like, oh no, that's cool. That ties into what happens in the rest of the film, where like there's almost this synchronization of people doing these actions. And it's like, that's cool. <laughs> I love that stuff. So especially with this setting, just, oh, it's so, it just, it's, um, it's, it's such a small scene at the end of the day, but I think this stuff is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the standout bit for me, I, I just, I said it, but I was just going to say it again, because it really does play to, we were just saying about Craig can't really do the, the, the quips as well. That's not his forte as Bond, but he can, when he wants to, there's just really great deliveries he can do when he, when he does say that, no about grieving it was like oh like that i don't know that really felt so bond to me and just kind of analyzing her and just like saying it out like that i just i really love that moment and i think yeah this whole little funeral scene is is really well put together um for for what it actually is it's a lot more memorable than it has any right to be to be honest with you yeah i agree the no is surprising because you don't expect it but once he says it it starts then clicking into place like oh okay but as we know from casino royale because Pond says, I'm very good at reading people, that this is just something he can do. And yeah. the fact that he is just like, no, and doesn't, and just kind of points that out quite bluntly, that, yeah, you're right, very cool, very suave, very, uh, yeah, very suave. For sure. 
So we then see it's uh, later on at night and uh, a car is pulling up to this big, beautiful villa, big, beautiful house. Um, and it's the uh, it's the lady. I can't remember if she's ever named. Oh, she must be. I kept on just calling her. Actually, I put window in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Meant to be widow. Um, but I don't know what her name is. I went with uh, widow as well. Yeah. Widow. Okay, I'll stick to widow. Uh, but yeah, it's the widow uh, getting out and um, entering the house. And we see... We see her enter the house and turn the lights on. She's still got her kind of funeral outfit on and in her high heels. And it's all very, very moody. It's all kind of like the lights are on, but it's still very dark and it's very grand looking interiors, very fancy or very ornate as she's walking through. But yeah, she turns on the lights, pours herself a drink. There's a little bar nearby and yeah, grabs a drink and starts to walk kind of towards the camera. Um down through the house and as she does that she uh lets her hair down and has you know a few sips of of the drink and as this is all happening music wise you get this classical music start to play um i looked it up because i wasn't even sure i don't know if it was like some famous track or something all I gleaned from it is is it by Vivaldi, but that kind of gives you an impression of the sort of music that's playing. It's yeah, it's, it's like all opera, very... right? It's opera yeah. vocals. It's classical like music, like very vocal, like oh, like it's that sort of stuff. Yeah, but it's kind of brooding. It's quite dark to it. There's a, there's a definite tension as this music is playing, and she's walking through the house. And as I say, that there is some lights, but it's still very very dark. And as she's walking through, you see some figures kind of standing by the doorways in the shadows behind and. Uh, as she walks in front of them, they start walking up behind her and it's all kind of creepy and it's you kind of get the idea, you know what's going to happen and she knows what's going to happen with all of this. She's just walking with her drink, walking out into the garden eventually um, and there she is on the grass and she's got a drink and then we see kind of camera like facing her, the men in the background with the guns Um pulling up their guns as if they're about to aim and shoot. And uh, she's closing her eyes, waiting for you know, getting killed. And just as it's about to happen, uh, there is a silenced gun that takes out both of these men behind her and they fall to the ground. And she's still there waiting. And it's Bond, of course. He comes up and um, walks up beside her. And... Uh, she kind of finally looks around and, and uh, realises that he's there and, and says that there's no use, there'll be more coming for her. All you've bought me is five minutes more. And to that, Bond says, time for a drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I joke, but like that is, uh, yeah, I, I really liked this scene. I, I just think kind of the the composition of it and I, I really do think it is the music just really pulls it together really has that growing sense of tension to it. And I just think the way it was shot was quite clever, where it has that that movement to it and these figures appearing behind um, for what is ultimately... like It's a very, very sad thing that is obviously happening, but shot very tastefully and very very art, artfully done. Yeah, I was quite impressed by this. Yeah, I mean, it's a Sam Mendes special, as I already mentioned. With Sam Mendes special. Where mm. it's like, it's a very basic scene, and it is, again, stuff that we've seen similar versions before, Men are trying to kill somebody. Bond intervenes and kills them first to get information. Very to-the-point Bond. Nothing really interesting about that. So instead, they just kind of shoot it in this very stylized way, have these kind of yeah, very big, 
uh, brooding like classical op- opera music playing and just yeah the, the as you say the way it's shot the fact that you know you kind of get this sense we already got the sense that something is wrong in the tension from the last scene that carries over to this one and what would normally be a widow coming home to grieve at our house instead she kind of we know well you kind of put it together that she knows she's about to be killed so all she does is put on some music she likes and just gets a drink and just kind of marches through the house but the kind of power that exerts from these people where that is very calm and collected she's very calm as well it's just like it just kind of sells it all so for well so it just kind of injects so much into the into this scene which is quite basic by just having this yeah just the, the way the camera follows her she never turns around she always goes straight and then just stops at the pool kind of enjoys her last drink and then just waits to be killed and you they do a really great job making you kind of feel that presence or the presence of the people um, behind her and understanding what's going on it's like yeah again face of it very basic but sam Mendes is he doesn't get everything right in this film definitely not but you can still kind of put together a really great, interesting scene for, once again, like the funeral scene, doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's probably not what you're going to be thinking about after watching the film, but some of this stuff works really well. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it as well. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> kind of a shame that we have to go on, because then after that, uh, they're inside, they go back inside, and as Bond says, it's time for a drink, so he's pouring some champagne in a couple of glasses for for the both of them and uh she asks about her husband and bond's relationship with him and kind of reveals that yeah bond killed her husband to which she slaps him uh because bond by doing that has signed her death warrant they you know she she was safe in in the knowledge that she wouldn't reveal anything being with her husband and now she can't trust anyone and they'll eventually end up dying together uh, because of the situation they're now in, people coming after them. And as this is happening, uh, Bond is kind of walking towards her. She's walking backwards, eventually up to a mirror um, that's on the wall, a big mirror. And some at some point she asks who he is and you get the line about Bond, James Bond. And it's like growing sexual tension there and he's holding her and starts to kiss her um, and starts to ask about the Pale King and if she knows anything about that, to which she says no and is sort of, you know, falling for him as as he's kissing her neck and everything and starts to talk about the power these people have and actually that there is uh, a meeting being held. They they hardly ever meet this organisation that her husband was part of, but there is going to be one tonight to choose his replacement um, at midnight, she says. And uh, with that, by this point, Bond has pretty much undressed her and, you know, that... <laughs> they get on with it. <laughs> yeah, they get on with it. <laughs> they get on with it, yeah. And afterwards, you see, she's in bed and Bond is writing, kind of scribbling a note on a, a bit of paper next to the... on the bedside table. And he's just explaining that he has contacted Felix, friend from uh, the CIA, uh, to come and take her to the uh, embassy so he's not just leaving her high and dry um because he's he's gonna go off to that meeting that she mentioned about and yeah he's just about to leave and she says don't go james where you're going they have no mercy and he says something in italian as he leaves but 
obviously I don't know what that is. <laughs> and uh, and that's that. And I mentioned about, I don't know, I mentioned about um, how fortunate that we have to move on because I think it's such a strong start to the scene and I don't know, it's just all kind of left, all sort of gone with this next bit. I just didn't, I don't know. They always have to have these things, I suppose, Bond seducing someone and uh, trying to get information and it's stuff that we've seen before, but it all just felt a little bit, well, yeah, I, I don't know. And I think this is this is the end of that character. <laughs> so that's why yeah. I, I thought it was quite interesting that it was like, this is going to be the oldest Bond girl in, in any Bond film. And she's in three scenes. <laughs> and that's it. It's like, we want to we wanna have older women, but not... Not for too long. Get get Leia Sadu on. Come on, we need someone younger. <laughs> so like, yeah. I don't know. Just seemed a little bit half-assed in terms of if they were going to do this and, not, and a bit of a waste. Well, that's the problem. Like, they shouldn't have hyped it up at all because I feel like in the context of the film, it's totally fine. And I think she does a pretty good job. And I think for the story and stuff, it all works pretty well. Like, it's it's all pretty good. Um, but yeah, like the, this scene, it does feel very different though to me because... Uh, you're talking about them kissing, but they actually don't kiss for ages. Like, they're kind of just, like, breathing on each other and, like, kind of, like, moving their lips around each other a little bit. And as they talk, they're just kind of, like, breathing and stuff. And then they start kissing, and that's what then fades into them getting on with it, um, as you mm. would say. Uh, so it does have a very different feel from that perspective. And, yeah, it's interesting because I don't as you say this is it for this character but i have a feeling you never find out what happens to her or if you do i can't think of when it was mentioned i in in my head well before rewatching this i thought you you somehow found out that she was still killed yeah um and i don't know where i got that from but it makes sense like the whole idea of every every woman that bond touches dies as we you know that comes out she later on she dies of old age that's what she, <laughs> she oh falls and breaks her hip <laughs> oh we, got um, we got jokes we got jokes well, yeah whether you like them or not yeah whether um, they're okay and funny <laughs> or not but yeah I, I can't remember actually hearing anything that does confirm that no i, like I thought it that. would be like very soon after you hear like oh yeah she didn't make it or you lost another one james yeah. Maybe Green just pops up and says that line again. Ha <laughs> ha, like, ugh, terrible. Um, but yeah, I also kind of wonder because I want to say this is the first time you kind of hear about the organization. And as us as Bond fans, watching a film called Spectre, you're like, oh, well, it's going to be about Spectre, that secret organization. So kind of straight away in our heads, I feel like we know that there is this organization going on and that we're going to be exploring that. But I do wonder if anyone else kind of how this beginning stuff plays out without knowing that because really he's just trying to find out who the pale king is and this is the first time we've heard about the organization but when i watch the film you see the ring you see the octopus and you know the pale king's tied to that so you're like oh specter <laughs> it's specter uh but yeah i do wonder um how this comes across for someone who doesn't have that knowledge yeah, or at the very least someone who has maybe just watched the Craig films and then would think, oh, it's Quantum. Quantum's like, back. Maybe... Well, yeah, like what happened with Quantum? It must be that. That's the only organisation that we've seen and heard of. So, yeah, I guess it's it could mean different things to different people. But us Bond fans, we knew what was coming. That's right. Don't question me. And we weren't happy about it. <laughs> no. Well, at the moment I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I get not happy about it. So... 
now that the widow has given Bond the location of the meeting, uh, I think they do specify like a famous location in Rome, but I have no idea what that is. That's interesting you say that, actually, because I heard it and I wrote it down. Oh, and she good. says, she says the pal- Palazzo Cardenza. Are like, you doing well, that- the hand while you say that? <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, that sounds like a very interesting place. I'm going to Google it. Completely fake. Completely oh, fake place. Doesn't exist. Just for the film. Well, they shot it somewhere. That looks they sh- nice. They shot it in England. I, oh. It's fun- yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because that was the exact stuff I was Googling before <laughs> recording. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that because where they filmed it, some palace in England. Oh, wow. Do you know what city? Is that like a bath situation? Um, Blenheim or something oh, like that Blen- it's called? Blenheim? Blenheim. Blenheim, I Maybe, think yeah. it might be pronounced. Yeah, that's in Oxfordshire. Yeah, so there you go. Wow, there, I'm gonna, I might go there. Go there. It looks nice. Yeah. Um, but I won't be driving there in these very fancy, expensive cars. So Bond drives up to uh, this place in Rome, supposedly, uh, and he's in his Aston Martin, the DB10. And there's also tons of very fancy, expensive cars there. So Bond parks up. He kind of goes in between the pillars to enter the building. And there's a man who just looks like a club bouncer. And he's like, hey, identify yourself, asshole, uh, in Italian. So Bond responds, in Italian, I'm Mickey Mouse. Who the hell are you? And Bond shows him the ring. So the octopus ring that Bond stole before... I don't think he's been wearing it the whole time, but he has put it on for this. So the man sees the ring and says, like, nods and lets him in. But after doing so, he points at someone or nods at someone and they make a phone call. But we don't know what is said. So we cut to Bond going inside the building and he enters this massive hall. And it's like over two floors. And he's kind of like on the top floor where there's like these balconies all around the building or all around the hall so i guess just to describe the setup you've got this huge table in the middle on the ground floor and you've got people sitting around that table and then you've got one floor up there's balconies overlooking the table and there's lots of people in suits around there so we overhear some people talking about well evil schemes pretty much just like we're doing some evil stuff and it's going very well go us (laughs) and they say about (laughs) yeah that's about it Uh, One of them says about the completion of the Global Surveillance Initiative is coming soon, which if you were somehow paying attention to the stuff C was saying, I think it's the same thing that they were talking about there. Um, So Bond is kind of moving around on the top, on the top floor with the balcony, kind of looking down and suddenly as everyone or somebody is talking, these giant large doors at one side of the room start opening And as that happens, everyone stops talking and stands up and looks at the doors and somebody walks in and sits at the head of the table. But this person, whoever it is, is all in shadow. You can't really see what they look like, Um, but they have like two people behind them and they kind of motion one over, whisper something in the ear and all that person then does is just move a mic slightly towards him. And the man just quite quietly and calmly says, don't let me interrupt you. And everyone sits down. So yeah, so the person you were speaking to before, she's all like, "Yeah, the news is good. We are winning. So when I said go us, it's not actually that far away from what yeah. they're saying. True. Uh, so Bond is kind of staring at the man who is sitting down in the shadows and at the head of the table, just kind of trying to get a sense of who that was. So 
the person who's running this meeting then talks about, oh, we've got to replace uh, Marco, I think he was called. The man in the white suit that Bond killed at the start of the film. We got to, He must be replaced. It's why they called the meeting. Um, and as part of that, they also said that the Pale King must be terminated. So they're like, who will go to make the journey? Which was like almost a very like Lord of the Rings way of phrasing that. I don't... Hmm. Um, but the, yeah, they are somebody else um, who looks a bit like... Uh, oh, what's that actor called? The one who played Harvey Dent in in The Dark Knight. Oh. It's got a jaw. He's just disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. I know who you're talking about, though. Yeah, he's yeah, got quite a distinct jawline. The one who played like Two-Face. But yeah, you are someone who looks like that and he was like, I will go and make the journey. And the head of the table, the man, or the man at the head of the table in the shadows then whispers to the man again who's near him and... The, then also the person who's like chairing the meeting who just said that then goes over to him and gets whispered to and then he turns around and says does anyone challenge this person for the position so everyone kind of looks around and it's all quite quiet and then uh quite a big fellow enters the room uh an actor well dave Batista, yeah dave Batista, Batista, uh, uh yeah him from him, him from Guardians of the Galaxy. Him from man. Oh, we're killing Big it man. today. Big man, yeah. Uh, I think he used to be a wrestler, I want to say, but yeah. he was quite a quite a like well-known and uh, respected actor at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, quite a big fella. He was also in Gears of War. They patched him in. Uh, respected, but we still don't know his name properly. Batista. I do. Oh, if I, think it is Dave, it, I think it is Batista. I think Batista. you're right, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he kind of walks in. And they then he stands next to the one who the Harvey Dent style character. He stands next to him at the table and they say, "Okay, please state your credentials. And he just slowly turns and he grabs the guy and smashes his head into the table. He then pulls him up by his head and uses his thumbs to pierce into his eyes. Although it looks like he's got some sort of shiny things on his thumb like shiny thumbnails metallic so he like pushes them in we start on a shot with the thumbs going into the head but then we quite quickly cut to behind and he's the guy screaming and then he just snaps the man's neck and throws him to the floor and he has some blood on his thumbs so he just quite calmly gets a handkerchief and wipes those off and and sits down um so it's quite interesting about that scene. I don't know if you looked this up, but that was actually kind of censored just before release. Oh, really? Yeah. So orig- there was two things that were censored in this film, and I don't think ever became uncensored. And the first one was this, where apparently the first version of this was the camera stayed on front and you saw it. You saw it all. Um, like you saw it stayed on the thumbs going into the eyes and it mm. never cut to the other shot. Right, okay. So I can kind of see, to be honest, I kind of probably like that change because it is a Bond film. It doesn't need to be gruesome. You get it. You see the thumbs go in. You get it. That's his thing. That's his gimmick. That's probably enough anyway. Yeah. What was the other bit? Uh, It was, well, I'll I'll say when we get there. Oh, okay. I thought it was to do with that eye gouging bit because I wouldn't be surprised if something that they would have censored because to me, it's a very, (laughs) I don't know, I don't know uh, exactly how an eye gouge would play out, but oh, okay. I'd, right. well, I'd have to imagine the person would make a bit more noise. To me, he was very quiet. Didn't really scream that much for having his eyes gouged out. And I thought maybe they, I don't know, if they were going to censor, they would make it a little bit less gruesome in terms of like, yeah, screaming or blood curling scream, maybe. But no, okay, if that wasn't it, then that's fine. 
Yeah, I can't remember the screaming all that much, but this whole scene is very quiet. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you could have done the screaming as a like counter to that. I don't know, but they decided maybe. to yeah keep it a bit quiet and I won't say sophisticated, but <laughs> it's not quite that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so now yeah, so he has the job, great job for him. Um, so the the man at the head of the table, he then starts talking, and he says, "Welcome, James. It's been a long time." And we see shots of Bonds on the balcony standing nearby looking down. But the man at the head of the table isn't looking that way. He's still in the shadows. And he says, ah, we're we're finally here. And what took you so long? And at that point, he then turns to Bond. And you can he now kind of, by turning, his face kind of comes out of the shadows. And you can now see his face. And he says, cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> that he uh, does. That he does. And we can see that this is, well, that we don't find out the name, but this is a very famous actor of Chris, Christoph Waltz, known for being a bit nasty. Yeah, plays a lot of bad guys, as far as I know, although I've never actually seen him in anything else apart from this film. Oh, have you not seen Inglorious Bastards? I have not. No. That's probably his most famous bad guy role, and he does a right. very good job in it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he says cuckoo at Bond, and the guard from before... The one who's was bald, who looked like a bouncer, then is like, Chow, Mickey Mouse. So Bond just throws him onto the table. Um, and then he smashes out the window and starts running away. So we we then go into like a big chase scene. Um, so this is the big, I'll just say it, like Spectre organization table scene. Um, yeah. Sorry to spoil that if anyone couldn't figure that out. <laughs> I think it's kind of <laughs> obvious. <laughs> Uh, but of course, you know, this is another classic element brought back into the Craig era where we had those iconic scenes. Really not that many. I think it was just the one in... Or oh, was it Thunderball? Thunderball yes, it a, was. Was yeah. that in Paris, I want to say? Yeah. Um, and obviously over the years with like Austin Powers and things like that parodying that, it was always going to be interesting to see like if they were going to do it again, which they did here, how were they going to handle that? And I'm going to say right off the bat... When I first saw this film, this was my favorite scene in the whole film. Oh, really? I, I really love the atmosphere here. Yeah, like they they treat it quite seriously. There's such a... The lighting as well and the cinematography, it's quite... It's like mood lighting, but it's like heavy mood lighting. And the way this like... How big... The way this room looks and everyone's standing and talking. It's... Oh, it just... I, I kind of just love it. I think they kind of nailed it. It's... uh. Yeah, very Sam Mendes, of course, but it's kind of, I guess it's still a little bit silly, but I just think it oozes atmosphere. And whenever I watch this scene, I get very much sucked into that atmosphere. It's incredibly stylized. Like, so it's almost kind of a cartoonish in the way that it's like the, the figure at the end is just completely in black and the, the men standing next to him. And then you just have this gigantic room and it's so kind of, yeah, as you say, it's just a, exuding atmosphere with it um and i think like in terms of them bringing back that that cliche although as you say it was only in a few films i think uh, yeah other films made it more of a cliche than bond maybe did to begin with but in terms of bringing it back i think it was a a good way of doing it um and for example not having uh an electric chair or you know a chair that tips back to to get rid of someone like they just had big guy come in and, and eye gouge that's fair enough the only thing that 
because I remember in a previous podcast, I think it was a Quantum of Solace one, I was, and we were talking about the opera scene there. I vaguely remember saying something about why I didn't like this, this, this one, Inspector. And when I was rewatching it, I was trying to work out what I didn't like. And I think the thing for me is, it's almost there's just too many people. I think in this in this setting, like Spectre is meant to be this. I know it's meant to be this huge organization that's everywhere, and you can't avoid it. And yeah, sort of thing. They're incredibly powerful, but also I feel like they are still meant to be a secret organization, and there's just an incredibly huge number of people in this room, on the table, and then up on the balcony and everywhere. I just feel like I would have liked it if it was a little bit smaller scale to keep that kind of mystery to it along with the actual kind of mystery visually on screen i don't know that's it that that's probably what i was thinking when i was saying before i didn't like it and i still do maintain that position but otherwise i think it is a very cool introduction to the main villain and the specter organization yeah i I can see that i kind of like the the almost the hierarchy that it establishes within this room that they are this big, powerful organization, but there's almost like, yeah, a hierarchy built into this. There's the guy at the, the head of the table, the one in shadow, obviously the big cheese, if you will, and then the people around the table, but there's like these very important people, but they're almost like secondary to this because they're up on the balcony. There's the ones that are super important down below, and then the ones that are separated, and I like that idea of that. Um, I think the real reason they probably did this is so Bond could just walk around the edge and observe like it would be ridiculous if it was just one room and bond just walked in and just like oh i'm just doing the just doing snacks water anyone just anyone need anything anything from the trolley yeah i've got a few things (laughs) i don't have any diet cokes though sorry (laughs) i ah, that's my bad i know you like them but sorry (laughs) Um, um, but so they probably did it just because of that but i don't know i think it kind of i like the idea of this hierarchy within this like it's you don't get told it, but it's implied by having it separated. But having people who are still very important be up up high and kind of looking down on this, I think that in itself just kind of adds a little bit of something, a more subtle detail to what this organisation is about. Yeah, yeah, that I can understand, the, the, the whole ranks of it. And also, I really liked... Uh, it's a, Well, we get on to where the character eventually goes, but the main one, the one in Shadow all the time, I, I love the way that they kind of introduce themselves by you know having someone do something so menial as in just moving the microphone ever so slightly closer to them and the way that christoph waltz says uh don't let me interrupt you it it sounds really creepy like this is before you kind of hear his voice normally later on and it he does a good job of it it really does sound like uh the voice that that character he has had very early on in the films um just to kind of yeah, just unnatural way of speaking. And it's a pity that it doesn't carry on, although I think it might have been harder to <laughs> to work in the film for a longer period of time. But as far as introductions go, I think it was a very good one. Yeah, because like they always had it in the originals with... I, I won't say who this is, but I guess I'll allude to it enough that if you've listened to all the episodes, you probably know what I'm talking about. But they always had this character kind of, you know, be in the shadows like this. And it was kind of silly. It was kind of ridiculous. So I have to applaud them for tr- like bringing that element forward and modernizing it in a way that's still very effective. Like there's just so much weight behind when he talks and you get that from the way this is shot, the way everyone kind of reacts to him. And this is one of those where like I was saying how like I didn't like the music in 
the the helicopter scene uh, this is one of those scenes that kind of reinforces to me that the music in this film is not great because this didn't need any music and it's a lot more effective because of it and the music like because they don't need any music there's no music to kind of get in the way of the atmosphere mm. uh, but, but i'm going a bit of a tangent there we'll definitely get to that i keep teasing now we're going to talk about the music i swear we will um, but this one like because it's so quiet it's so deliberate it's it's just i really like it um now about dave davy oh uh, yeah i think that stuff's okay uh you know you can see he's clearly some sort of henchman and having him have this gimmick i think all that stuff's fine i think it does take that box of oh even though they're all very sophisticated and classy people they're still just pure chaos and death here and everyone just kind of gets about their day you know it works from that side but yeah again just okay like that's not the stuff i like i like the the atmosphere i like the weight that the character has i like him being in the shadow i like all that stuff with whoever is the head of this organization the other stuff with dave is it's just okay i would agree yeah i think uh what isn't the character's name i think i was hinks i want to say yeah his name uh it is almost like they just needed sort of a like an odd job type henchman like someone really big intimidating but then ultimately well you know we'll talk but it doesn't really go very far beyond that so it's i I think i'm with you that this is definitely not the point to to dwell on with the scene it is is all about that introduction and the kind of lighting and uh, the mood it sets and yeah the eye gouging stuff that's like oh as uh, as the widow said, you're you're going into a you're crossing into a land that shows no mercy. Well, there it is in action, I suppose. So <laughs> she's not wrong. God, after watching this film, I wish I had my eyes gouged. I know I'm saying. <laughs> oh. That's for the poster. That's one for the poster right there. That's for my uh, yeah the my newspaper review I did at the time. That's what I had. Oh, you envy him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, like, and also just to just to kind of try and wrap this up because we could be on here, we could be here for a while. But yeah, just that moment where Bond is standing on the balcony, looking down, and he thinks he's kind of infiltrated it. But the man at the head, who's again exerting all this control without doing anything, just starts talking to James without looking at him, and you're just like, what? <laughs> like, you really feel that kind of like mystique that Bond is clearly feeling. And that's just so good. I love that moment. The cuckoo's a bit of a question mark. Um, yes. I, I kind of like it here. I just don't kind of like where it goes necessarily. But it's so odd. I'm just like, oh, oh, cuckoo. All right, <laughs> fine. Um, but yeah, that moment where he turns or where he's just talking to James while hidden. That's very cool. Yeah, you need to stick with the cuckoo. Just, uh, just let that go. <laughs> yeah. It'll come back. Yeah, so I don't know if I would still say this is my favourite scene in the film. It's definitely up there. I guess I can't really think of anything that overtakes it. But yeah, this is like... Everything up to this point, I would say overall I've enjoyed. There's been some misfires with the plot and M and some of that sort of stuff. But everything so far, I think it's been pretty good. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, Thus far, they're quibbles, but nothing ruining the film. No, definitely not. Not yet. No. So I guess I'm setting myself up to describe the next scene with that loaded statement. Um. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And with that, you have reached the end of part one of episode 24 of the Bond Revisited podcast. 
Join myself and Tom next time where Bond gets stuck behind a slow Italian driver, heads to the middle of Austria to see a familiar face, and starts finding out the truth behind the mysterious organisation. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you for part two. 